When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So today I am here to record a podcast on bipolar episode with an old colleague and friend of mine named Dr. Timothy Jennings. Hi, Tim. Hey, Beth. He is a psychiatrist and he has been doing this for over 30 years. And not only does he have a great clinical practice and he has two books called The God-Shaped Brain and Could It Be This Simple? I forget the subtitle. Yeah. But they're both great. I have them both. And uh, he started a transcranial magnetic stimulation business about 10, almost 8 or 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly, like yes. And he has spoken all over the world about a variety of topics. And just to give you a quick backstory of how I know Tim, besides referring to him back and forth over the years, um, he and I worked in the same office for two, three years together. And then he left and started his own practice, and I did as well. Um, but we had a lot of fun just, you know, networking and um, being able to discuss and collaborate with client treatment. And we would have some funny stories because he definitely has a lot of strengths that I don't have. Um, and, and Tim, you may not know this. I diagnosed myself with ADHD probably about 10 or 12 years ago probably doesn't surprise you. You probably saw these observations. You're like, does she know she has ADHD? <laughs> you got a big smile on your face. So I take that as a yes. <laughs> so that's in my title of okay. my podcast okay. is uh, Never Perfect with an ADHD Psychologist. Okay. And um, I have, you know, really come to view a lot of, you know, issues, neuro, you know, divergent stuff, or even just diagnoses as there's a, a flip side to everything. And some of my favorite things about myself are the flip side of the negative of my ADHD. So maybe we can talk about that a little bit with bipolar disorder, some of the strengths with bipolar. So, uh, but Tim and I used to kind of joke about, I was nice and too nice and conflict avoidant, and he was kind of brutally honest. And we would joke that, you know, I think we both would tell our clients, well, I'm good cop, he's bad cop. But I always admired your passion for what you do and of course your brilliance and just how much you tried to squeeze a lot into your sessions and you just really want to help people and you love to proclaim whatever truth that you're you know passionate about so um, also know you're a Christian psychiatrist so that's important to mention very holistic um, but I talk about with the never perfect theme is how we all have uh, strengths and weaknesses so I mentioned some of your strengths. What do you see as maybe one of or two of your weaknesses or struggles? So, you know, one of the things that I've uh, worked on uh, improving is uh, how um, 
I can present the truth to the patient in the way that's most acceptable and or in my public speaking, uh, interacting with audiences in a way that make them feel validated while you're correcting them. Mm. It's always it's always a challenge to how do you correct somebody while they feel validated while you do it? Right. Like I understand you, but I need to give you some feedback here. Correct. And uh, and so that that's always been a challenge. When I was younger, it was kind of like just right to the here's where you're wrong. Uh-huh. And then later it's like, hey, you know, that's a great uh, question. I'm glad you brought that up. But can we review it from this angle? Right. And uh, so reshaping and reframing with people and you get better with that over time. And so it's it's, uh, you know, the old, the spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. So <laughs> learning how to learning how to present the truth in a way that's more palatable. But sometimes with some people, as you know, particularly people with addictions, mm-hmm. um, uh, you can't sugarcoat some things. Mm-hmm. Some, some people, uh, because their denial is so high, you have to actually be brutally honest and yes. bluntly honest or else, the, or else they'll they'll avoid the truth to the, right. to the nth degree. Yeah. So there's a judgment call there as well. That's true because sometimes it can't. it's not clear if you sugarcoat it too much or you beat around the bush too much, which I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, one interesting thing I think we have in common is I do try to squeeze a lot in, a lot of information into my sessions. And even on the podcast, you know, I've had some friends say, you need to chat a little more and not just get right down to business. But you are definitely right down to business and trying to make the most of every minute. Um, and that probably played into you being very direct and, and you know, sometimes brutally honest. You didn't, you just wanted to get to the point and not have to beat around the bush, you know? Sure, yeah, yeah. That's neat. Well, um, <clears throat> so a few questions. Um, one, can you just kind of explain an overview of bipolar disorder? I feel like it's one of the trickiest diagnoses for people to understand, especially with all the different types and subtypes. Can you sort of just give us an overview? Yeah, bipolar disorder is probably one of the most misdiagnosed, if not the most misdiagnosed disorder. Mm -hmm. I think it's misdiagnosed 70% of the time. Wow. uh, On both sides of the equation. Missed, missed, Mm -hmm. as in it wasn't diagnosed when it should have been, and given as a diagnosis when it really isn't bipolar disorder. So it's missed often on both sides of the equation. And that's because when people think of bipolar sort of by being two poles, two poles, Uh Uh, ups and downs, uh, highs, manias, lows, depression, um, that they will often see somebody who's moody. And if you're moody and you have lots of mood swings, then then people will often throw the bipolar diagnosis uh-huh. at it. Um, that's not necessarily true. There's lots of reasons why people are moody uh-huh. and you can have mood swings that don't meet criteria for bipolar disorder. If you consider, though, the clinical, what we understand to be bipolar disorder, this is an illness uh, in which there is uh, alterations in normal mood that then impair function. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and those, those, and that, and and it's a, in a constellation of mood disorders. And so I'm going to walk you through the constellation of mood disorders. Okay, um, what what most people already probably have some uh, understanding of is what's called depression. And now, when we talk about clinical depression or major depression, this is a functional impairment where where our brains are no longer operating normally. We can see this on functional scans, and the person only has depressed mood or loss of interest in things, mm-hmm. but they also have diminished energy, sleep disturbance, appetite disturbance. Focus Focus concentration problems, uh, uh, ruminating negative thoughts, thoughts about death or suicide. These types of things happen when somebody's in a state of depression. Mm-hmm. Now, if that is severe enough that it impairs function for at least two weeks or more, then that would meet the, the criteria to be diagnosed with a, a major depression or clinical depression. And if that's what you've only had was depressions, and then it comes back and it resolves, uh, and then you may have another depression future in your life, then you have a major depressive disorder, mm-hmm. okay, that, 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 that you can be treated and be in remission, and you're not depressed, and you can have another episode. Uh, if you have full major depressions, and then you have short periods of time where you have 
uh, you're not just back to your normal mood, but you have some elevations in mm-hmm. mood. You have increased energy. You maybe only your normal sleep is eight hours. You're only sleeping five hours a night. Uh, you actually are more productive. You clean out the entire garage and then and, and repaint the kitchen all in one night. Yeah, okay? extremely productive. Okay? Uh, th- this would be, a, but it's short bursts. Maybe maybe just a few nights. Yeah. Okay. But it and it doesn't really necessarily go beyond what can still be considered within the scope of normal function. Even maybe even a, a little better function. You feel better, higher energy. Yeah. But it's but it's, it's brief bursts. This is called hypomania mm-hmm. okay and uh, and then people will often after a few days like that slide into a depression for maybe weeks or months kind okay of a mild mania where you borrowed energy a mild mania is, is, is hypomania that's uh, right. hypo yes. low not full mania so, yeah. so that's what it is and so full depressions with hypomania uh, is bipolar 2 mm-hmm. that's the more mild form you mm-hmm. get the full depressions but you don't get the full manias okay people with bipolar 2 70% of their symptom symptomology is depression Mm. In fact, some people, th- I think, are, are, are some studies have showed up to 70% of their life is in depression. Wow. So not way this, more frequent so like, down. Yeah, I think 70% of their life they're in depression. 70% of their life, not just illness. 70% of their life, depressed. Yeah. Oh. About 2%, 1 to 2% will have hypomania. And, and then the, the other, like, 28% there uh, have a normal mood. Mm-hmm. So so bipolar 2s tend to have much more depression than anything else. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um Bipolar one is where you have a full mania. Now, this full mania is you have excessive energy. You, you don't need to sleep. You might only, you may not sleep at all. You may only sleep an hour or two, but you don't have any sense of impairment. You're still full of energy. Your thoughts race. Thoughts can race so much that they become disorganized. You're not even able to form sentences anymore. Uh, you become impulsive. You can become aggressive. You can become uh, sexually acting out, hyper-religious, uh, grandiose, delusional in your thinking. Full-blown manias can be quite, um, quite damaging and destructive. Uh, and uh, typically, um, those um, if you have a full mania, that's all that's necessary to diagnose bipolar. You don't actually have to have depressions. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's a okay. misnomer for and a confusing piece for a lot of people. You could be only manic, normal, manic, normal. And that's no still depression. bipolar, right? Yes. Uh, most of the time, though, they do have depressions because after mm-hmm. these full mania, they burn so much energy, they they, they slide into a depression. Crash, yeah. yeah, you crash into a depression. So most of the time, this is rare only to have manias, but it can, and it still meets the diagnostic criteria for uh, the bipolar disorder manic uh, episode. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that so that's bipolar one. That's bipolar two. And then there's something called cyclothymia, mm-hmm. and cyclothymia is somebody who doesn't have full depressions. Mm-hmm. They have dysthymia. They, they have d- uh, they're mo- moderately depressed but they're not fully depressed. They can still go to work, but there's no joy. They kind of, they their energy is low, but they can still drag themselves through the routines of life, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and then they have hypomanias, those hypomanias, and they oscillate between this dysthymic, but not full depression, and, and these hypomanias for two years or more, and that's cyclothymia. Mm. Okay, and that's in the, in the mood disorder. So there's no real criteria for whether it lasts half a day or a day or a week on those mild ups and downs? Not, not necessarily. If you have... Um, Mood episodes that meet the, the criteria for either hypomania or full depression or full mania. If you have four of those in a year, that's called rapid cycling. So four mm-hmm. depressions in a year or four manias or two depressions and two manias in a, in a 12-month period, that would be then a, a rapid cycling bipolar disorder, okay? So if and then people had... can have a mixed episode where okay. they have episodes of, uh, where they have symptoms of both mania, they have uh, excessive energy, they're a- they're agitated, they're irritable, but they're also tearful and sad. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they're not euphoric, they're, they're down. So they have symptoms of both mania and depression at the same time. It's a mixed episode. Yeah. So it 
that is really confusing. You can see why it would be misdiagnosed or, or you know. And, and the reason that then it gets misdiagnosed also, missed mm-hmm. as well as misdiagnosed, yes. is because there are certain personality disorders that have lots of mood instability and mood swings with them. Mm-hmm. And then there are certain hormonal issues, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, that is cyclic and yep. has mood disorders associated with it. Uh, and then there are comorbid um, bipolar patients, nine out of ten of them have a comorbid anxiety disorder. Mm. And seven out of ten have a comorbid substance use disorder. Wow, okay. nine out of ten have a comorbid anxiety disorder. Right. Wow, and then okay. seven out of ten the have substance a abuse. substance uh, disorder. Right, and so a lot of times that these confounding other things make it difficult. So you may diagnose the anxiety. There's also an overlap between ADHD and bipolar mm-hmm. disorder. Okay, I'd and love a- to hear more and about ADHD, that. ADHD. Um, ADHD also has moodiness. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference though. Yeah. ADHD moodiness is situational moodiness and it's very flash moodiness and you resolve it very quickly. Mm-hmm. So you're overwhelmed, you're on the you're on the phone and or you're on your computer and somebody's talking to you and you get like overwhelmed, you get irritable and you snap, <laughs> uh, but then as soon as it's, it's like it resolves within 10 minutes it's gone. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, this type of moodiness from ADHD is not sustained elevations or depressions. It's, it's emotional reactivity, it, but it, it resolves based on circumstances right. really quickly. So moody, exactly. Yeah. But but untreated ADHD put people who are genetically vulnerable to mood disorders at greater risk for those mood disorders because untreated ADHD makes life harder. People who don't treat their ADHD, their threshold of feeling that sense of urgency and being overwhelmed mm-hmm. is reached with less environmental responsibilities or, or life stressors. And so they're constantly pressuring themselves with, with urgency mm-hmm. that if they treat treated their ADHD they wouldn't get and constant urgency or stress exhaust people and can drive uh, those who are vulnerable into depressions or or bipolar type um, Mm. manifestations. So treating the disorder uh, is is actually very helpful. Treating the ADHD gives resilience. Mm. But if somebody has a dual diagnosis and they've looked at dual diagnosis, uh, bipolar and ADHD, Mm -hmm. if you treat a bipolar patient and ADHD patient with a stimulant medicine Mm-hmm. Only you will worsen their bipolar. Yes, more mania because it's a stimulant. That's correct. However, if you mood stabilize them first and put them in mood stabilizer and then treat their ADHD, they actually have less relapses into either depression or or mania. Wow, that is fascinating. Okay, because then because they're, because you're reducing their overall stress. And the normal job of the prefrontal cortex when you activate it normally is to send a calming signal to your amygdala, so you're less overwhelmed, less anxious, and you're more mood stable. So you're less moody when you actually treat it. But you got to treat the bipolar first if they are dual diagnosed. That's so interesting. It brings up something I heard years ago. Those it was a speaker on bipolar, and she said most of the people with bipolar have a favorite upper, a favorite downer, and a favorite mood stabilizer. And she at the time felt like alcohol was the most popular downer then cocaine she mentioned as the upper and then weed or pot marijuana as the most common mood stabilizer do you think that a lot of people don't go they don't ever get diagnosed when they have bipolar because they're sort of self-medicating even though it's not very healthy manner to do. So, if you're asking, are there people that self-medicate rather than yes, lots of people self-medicate. It's part of what drives some of the addiction. Trying to most people who use addictive substances, the reason they use addictive substances is trying to augment their life experience in some way. Primarily, how they feel. I yeah. want to feel different. I want to change my emotions. Mm-hmm. And people who are more emotionally unstable, whether they're uh, access to character disorder, emotionally unstable, or bipolar, depressed, emotionally unstable, people will look to something to make themselves feel better. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is where people can get into an addiction process. Yeah. 
which could. So, what are some of the biggest dangers or risks of not treating it? Like for those that know they have bipolar disorder and they don't want to treat it, they just kind of want to self-manage or you know hope for the best. What? what so, happens? so with the dual diagnosis, seven to seven out of ten, with the, you will not treat an addiction successfully in a bipolar patient if you don't treat the bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. You will not treat the bipolar disorder successfully if you don't treat the addiction. Mm-hmm. It requires both to be treated simultaneously. And this is where many people fail because they will go for the bipolar treatment, but then they continue to use their substance. And you can't maintain mood stability when you're using psychoactive substances of various kinds. Yeah. Okay. And so then, then your question was... Uh, um, I, uh, the dangers of not treating it. Oh, the dangers of not treating are, are multifold. It's like the dangers of the... So suicide. Mm-hmm. Bipolar, I think, is the highest suicide yeah. rate of all mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. I think untreated, 29% of people with bipolar disorder die by suicide. Oh, wow. 29%. Okay. I think with treatment, it's 6% still. Wow. So it's okay. way better. Yeah. yeah. But but bipolar has a high suicide yes. uh, uh, So there's there's one. Mm-hmm. Um, the people in your life, okay, your relationships. So your personal relationships will fracture and be damaged if you don't treat your bipolar disorder. But you also hurt people in your life. Your your spouse, your parents, your siblings, your kids will be damaged because you will be a, a less reliable, less predictable, and you will bring more stress into their life, and that hurts people in your life. So there's a, there's a cascading consequence rippling through your relationships. Yeah, that unpredictability where people may walk on eggshells, and and you, it's a roller coaster if you just don't know which which dad or which mom or which child is going to show up or walk through the door today happy one manic one sad one you know sure. mean one sure so there's that there's that consequence there's the physiological health consequence untreated mood disorders uh, uh increase your risk of, of physical health problems cancers go up uh um, ver- um uh, metabolic disorders like um, obesity, diabetes, heart attack, strokes go up if you don't treat it. Uh, the relapsing into addictions go up if you don't treat it. Uh, dementia, Alzheimer's dementia goes up um, for if, if you don't treat it. So there's there's the physiological health problems that go up. Um, financial and occupational health mm-hmm. is damaged mm-hmm. in bipolar patients who don't get treated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, there, I don't think there's any aspect of human existence that doesn't is not injured by not treating uh, your bipolar disorder. And the severity can it get worse, almost like an ankle sprain. If you if you don't treat it, it could just get like an engine revving, like. Or so that- one of the uh, realities of our human physiology, um, and you can look at this from several different angles, but. Uh, There's something called the law of exertion. If you want something to get stronger, you must exercise it. Mm. Because if you don't use it, you lose it. Uh Okay, that's not just for muscles, neurobiologically as well. If you want strong music skill, you practice your instruments, strong math ability, you work problems. This is, when you do anything neurobiologically, you strengthen the circuits that are doing it. Uh If you go down pathways of untreated bipolar disorder, the brain changes in ways that make you more vulnerable and you actually start having more frequent episodes and the episodes become more severe. If you're episodes or psychotic episodes, with each recurrent psychosis, the psychosis becomes more severe and it becomes more difficult to treat. The brain is changing through life experiences. And this change structurally, um, neural circuit-wise, and epigenetically. We alter how genes are being turned on and turned off. Mm. And so, um, yes, the more episodes, the more negative 
brain changes, the more vulnerable people are to have more episodes, and the more severe those episodes tend to be with time. Wow. So it sort of strengthens those negative pathways or negative patterns and kind of makes them spread. So, But the opposite is true. You do healthy things, you build in resilience, and you, and you develop healthy coping strategies and skills, and you uh, epigenetic off your genes in ways that give resilience and make you more resistant to relapsing and so mm-hmm. forth. So the healthy interventions, and those can be neurocognitive or psychotherapeutic as well as psychopharmacologic. Mm-hmm. So interesting. So I have had many clients over the years where I have suspected that either my client or someone in their life or even just people I've known that seem chronically like irritable, argumentative. Um, I remember this one woman that would say her husband would come home every night and he would just complain and vent and it was kind of being a victim and just very negative. Um, and, And people that enjoy arguing and picking fights, that that is potentially a negative high. It's like a bad man. Mania, a, a, a low-grade mania, like hypomania, of course, that you talked about. But it's almost like a PMS feeling to the irritability. And, you know, so I guess I'm just curious because oftentimes I thought this seems like it may be a bipolar 2 or some version of mood swings. But, you know, I don't know. What would be your first rule outs as far as diagnosis for someone that's chronically like that, besides a personality disorder? I mean, that's one, too. No, what, what you've described I, I, does not sound to me anything like bipolar disorder. Okay. Uh, I think this is where you get misdiagnosis. Uh-huh. I think people hear that stuff uh-huh. and they go, that's bipolar. It's not what you described right there, not bipolar disorder. Okay. Bipolar disorder is where you have somebody who is generally not irritable, not moody, uh-huh. not negative, uh-huh. not pessimistic, okay. not gripe. He comes home and is cheerful, and then on occasion comes home and they're not normal. Mm -hmm. This is not their normal self. Bipolar alters the normal function. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. Somebody who comes home and they're chronically this way, Mm -hmm. this is not bipolar disorder. Okay, that's helpful. Bipolar disorder has acute episodes. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. So this is some other disorder going on here, whether it is just a character disorder, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be disordered. People can be negative and pessimistic without a character disorder. Yeah, there may not be a diagnosis. Without a uh, access, without a a a mood disorder Mm -hmm. they may just be a disgruntled person because they have things in their life they're they've never resolved and they're unhappy with like they get chewed out at work every day Mm -hmm. and they come home you know the classic dynamic Mm -hmm. of that and they come home and they gripe it all and they vent it all out on their spouse Mm -hmm. so just because somebody is negative and pessimistic that is not a a criteria unless it's a change of their normal self then you say oh it's and what you're looking at is the is the change now what's caused the change Mm-hmm. And it may or may not be bipolar disorder. Okay. So if they're like that 90% of the time, it's probably not bipolar 2. No. no okay. Not bipolar 2. That's really two. helpful. No. Is that kind of argumentative? I, I've just heard this so many times. In fact, that specific story, that man that would complain every day and drink wine or beer, his family would go, you need to quit that job. You know, they're not treating you right. And then he would say later, that was the best job I ever had. And they made me quit it. And they're going, but you were telling us every day how terrible it was and how they were treating you. And so now what, what you're describing now is a, is a dynamic that some people have a, in, in, in the literature is called the help rejecting complainer. Mm. Okay. Help rejecting complainer. Fascinating. Never okay. heard that. Okay. This is, these are people who are unhappy and they complain. And they compl- and they will often present in in, in psychotherapy or doctors' offices mm-hmm. complaining of various things, typically emotional, relational, mm-hmm. depression, unhappy, life's not fair, negative, and and whatever it is they're complaining about. When you offer a solution to them, they will reject it. 
they won't reject that out of hand. They'll reject it by it not working for them. Mm-hmm. So you'll say, oh, well, here you've got depression. Let's put you on a little uh, Lexapro. Mm-hmm. And they come back the next week or two weeks later and it's like, oh, I've got a side effect. I can't take that. You go another one, another one, another mm-hmm. one. Okay. Well, we need to go to this therapy and do this. Oh, well, that won't work because uh, it interferes with my work schedule. Or, well, you work third shift. We need to get you out. Well, I can't afford that because mm-hmm. um, we can't pay my bills. Uh, well, that they treat you bad at work. You need to get a different job. Uh, and they leave job. Well, that was the best job. Now, that's the thing they become claim, complaining about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so the help rejecting complainer, the real dynamic of the help rejecting complainer is that they don't feel loved. Mm. And they don't feel they deserve to be loved. This is the, it's a deep unconscious uh, insecurity and lack of feeling valued. Sense and of so, feeling unworthy. Uh, but and so what is they're looking for? Okay, they're looking to be loved. Now, how can they justify people loving them by being sick? So they take on the sick role, and uh, and when they're sick and in need, and if you've ever had that situation when you've ever had any need, and somebody comforted you, somebody intervened for you. It was the actual caring of the person that you were looking for, not the cup of water okay mm-hmm. or the medicine you were looking for the caring of the person somebody that cares enough to spend time with you talk with you invest in you and if you get well if you get well guess what if my symptoms go away I don't need to meet anymore I don't need the intervention anymore mm-hmm. people people stop caring so they can never actually give up their complaining or their negativity because if they do then they lose all of the the investment people are putting into them Okay, yeah. and once you identify that dynamic, if you're the therapist uh, that's going on, then the way you treat that is you um, say to the person, you set you set minimal goals that are achievable. We've been working together now for a year, and I've noticed there hasn't been much improvement. Mm-hmm. And and you subtly threaten that relationship. So I'm not sure that I'm necessarily the best therapist for you, but but I'd like to be, and I'd like to help you. So let's set some goals. You haven't been able to do X. Uh, let's say uh, you haven't been able to. Um, uh, go. Um, you, you've called in sick five days a, um, a month for the last uh, three years. Mm-hmm. Um, if if our work together is going to be helpful, we I, I'm going to say over the next month we need to, that needs to reduce to no more than three call-ins this next month. Mm-hmm. And if and if that doesn't happen, that means we're not being effective. Mm-hmm. And what will happen is they will call in three times. Mm. And then you continue to put achievable, reachable goals for them mm-hmm. under the guise that if they don't reach it, then they lose the relationship with you. Mm. Because it really is the relationship with you. This, the calling in sick is to show that I'm still sick and I still need to come here. Right. Okay? And so this is the real dynamic. You can't actually say it out, out loud and point it out because it, it, they, they can't. It's all unconsciously driven. That's a helper. And what you described there, this chronically pessimistic, negative, complaining uh-huh. person, uh, this is, they're, they're unhappy in some way, maybe a help rejecting complainer. Especially when they complain about oh, it was the best job I ever had and they made me leave. It's never my fault. Right, okay. right. Kind of that victim yep. mentality is, yep. is chronic. Um, well, you've answered some of my questions just in what you've been sharing. So, what one of the things that you said that makes a lot of sense that bipolar is not diagnosed or overdiagnosed or you know is they might say oh you have an anxiety disorder which happens in 90 co-occurring yeah. in 90 percent or you have an addiction and that is what the family complains about mm-hmm. is the addiction mm-hmm. so um but i have heard that three of the most common misdiagnoses are adhd mm-hmm. anger problems and anxiety problems and that i remember at one point hearing that most people with bipolar are misdiagnosed three times before they get the the right diagnosis is there anything else you would say that would be helpful in understanding why it's so hard to diagnose it or why it gets misdiagnosed well but, well, one of the most common misdiagnoses is the, the, that they present with their initial presentation with the depression. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And so they get diagnosed with depression. Like unipolar, not unipolar depression mm-hmm. instead of bipolar. Yeah. Okay. That's a, a, technically a misdiagnosis, but you really can't do anything about it until they declare themselves with either a hypomanic or manic episode. But that is that is a reason because there's one phase of the illness that looks just exactly like another illness. Yeah. Okay. So there are some subtle differences that can sometimes help you tease that out, but you still officially can't declare it a bipolar till they till they have a manic or hypomanic. But the depressions in in um, bipolar depression can sometimes be qualitatively different than unipolar depression. Yeah. Um, and the qualitative the things you can look for would be that the um, bipolar depressions tend to um, have uh, increased appetite. Um, they, they also are more vulnerable to winter depressions, bipolars, mm. than unipolars are. Um, they're also more vulnerable to postpartum depressions than unipolars are. Uh, they tend to have hyperphagia, uh, hyperphagia increased appetite, um, hypersomnia, sleep more rather than insomnia. Bipolar mm-hmm. when the depression will sleep more. Um, both can have fatigue, unipolar and bipolar. But there's a, a, a qualitative form of a fatigue that you can ask a bipolar patient. Mm-hmm. And, and it's called, um, the, the technical term for it is called leaden, like lead, leaden limb paralysis and what it actually means is that they're not just tired but their arms and legs feel heavy like they got weights tied to them okay bipolar depressed tend to get that where the unipolars tend to not get that Um, so you can ask these subtle questions but even if they endorse them all you really uh, you can say suspicious of bipolar disorder and if you are um, the data shows that for the vast majority of bipolar if you look at the bipolar population if you treat bipolar patients with antidepressants they tend to to go into rapid cycling Mm -hmm. and have more more destabilized and mixed episodes. Uh, so if you have a bipolar depressed patient, they're, they're more effectively treated with a mood stabilizing agent mm-hmm. rather than an antidepressant. That's across the population. Mm-hmm. I, I say that because there's always outliers mm. and there's always individual persons with bipolar disorder who do need an antidepressant, but you shouldn't assume that to start with. You should do mood, mood stabilization first. Does anyone know why those with bipolar are more affected by seasonal or postpartum? I don't know that anybody has identified the causal reason yeah. for that. It just yeah. is uh, It is true. So interesting. And then light, bipolar patients are very sensitive to light therapy. So you can lose, use light therapy in the morning uh, for bipolar depression, but, you, but they're also very vulnerable to flipping to mania if you get too much light. Wow. Light so you flip. have to. So, find yeah. A thin and my line. bipolar patients that use light for their depression uh, often need no more than uh, of a 10,000 lux therapy light, uh, no more than 15 minutes typically is all they need in the morning. Mm. And it has to be done before 7 a.m., 18 inches from the face or closer. Wow. It's very specific. Yes, right. If you, if you set it across the room, the light diffuses and doesn't have the clinical benefit. That's great to know. Have you heard any research? I recently heard some theory that. Some people are wondering if some of the personality disorders are actually just bipolar disorder manifested in a in a distinctive way, like a flavor. I've heard that this this debate has been going on my entire career. Oh, okay. Are borderline personality disorders just another form of bipolar disorder? Mm-hmm. There are there are adherents to that that argue it very strongly. Um, there are uh, others that say no. My my view is that they are distinct disorders, but mm-hmm. the bi but but and and that has to do with if you look at while while they. They may have similarities in mood. Um, when they're in a mood state of depression, the uh, the the personality disorders tend to be much more um, moment to moment volatile. Mm-hmm. They also tend to have a lot more. Um, 
character structure, in other words, lack of um, confidence in self, ne internal negative dialogues, uh, misperceived social cues. Mm -hmm. They have a whole lot more uh, in what I would call in the software wrong. Mm -hmm. where like the fractures in their sense of self. Yes, where bipolar patients can have a very mature character, uh, sense of self, normal coping skills, but when they end up in a depression or, or a mania, it is only then that you see dysfunction, mm -hmm. whereas the which the the the, the axis two by the borderlines histrionics and so forth, um, they have a chronic dysfunction of their own processing of information in relationships. So yeah. I see that completely different. It doesn't come and go. No. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's helpful. Um, well, so someone I know personally, not a client, sent some questions, and maybe I can just ask you a couple of those. Um, so one, this is a this is a middle-aged woman who's married to someone that has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and she said, um, do you have any suggestions on how a married spouse can have a constructive conversation with their bipolar spouse when they are upset or depressed? So upset and depressed are two different things. Mm. Uh, do people that don't have bipolar disorder get upset? Yes, of course. So you handle it the same way. Hmm. <laughs> bipolar diagnosis does does not in any way impact the question. Well, they're upset right now. Okay, so they're upset. How do you, what do you do? How do you have a conversation? Mm -hmm. You let them calm down. Mm -hmm. Give them some space. Yeah. And you come back and talk to them when they're not upset. Yeah. That's what you do. Yeah. Now, e even if your judgment is they're upset because they're manic right now, well, you can't talk to somebody and have a reasonable conversation if they're in a manic state. Mm -hmm. Okay? So you have to have conversations when they're not in a manic state. Mm -hmm. But I'm just taking the, the the word used there, upset. Right. Upset is not a clinical condition. Yeah. We can all be upset. Well, and people mean different things by upset. Yeah. Some people would mean angry. Someone means sad, crying. Okay. The know. depressed, then also you want to evaluate that. Bipolar patients can have depressions that are clinical where they're not functioning well that and, and and when people are in a state of depression they tend to be pejorative negative hopeless um, um, they they view, they they filter life events in a ways that are are derogatory to the self uh, etc cetera, etc cetera, when they're in a state of depression the neurobiology is out of whack mm -hmm. but people can also have moments of depression my football team just lost I'm so depressed right more okay. like ADD reactivity exactly kind of. yeah. and that's a different thing so when you say depressed we're talking if it's clinical depression then you get them into treatment you talk Talk about what they need to do to have their depression resolved, and you're empathetic and you're encouraging while they're treatment. But the overall landscape in a marriage here, here's the landscape that the healthy spouse has to have. Does my bipolar husband take ownership of their clinical condition? Mm. And you and you approach it cognitively in the same way. Well, what happens if they have diabetes? Mm -hmm. Okay, they have, they're diabetic and they're in and out of the ER and diabetic ketoacidosis because they won't take their insulin and they eat um, you know donuts every day. Yeah. Okay. Well, how, what's the healthy approach to that? The healthy approach is look. If you're not going to manage yourself, you're. you're <clears throat> If you're not going to own your own illness mm -hmm. and manage it to the best of your ability, mm -hmm. okay, then then you're not uh, qualified to fulfill your role as husband in this marriage. Right. That doesn't mean you leave them, but you yeah. say, um, you know, priorities, healthy relationships require healthy people. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, we have a, a, a priori, a, a first responsibility to be the healthiest persons we can be in governance mm-hmm. ourselves. You've got a bipolar illness. I'm sorry for that. I love you. I don't condemn you for it. But if you're going to be a healthy husband in this marriage, you've got to own that and you've got to say, what do I need to do to maintain my wellness? I'll keep my doctor's appointments. I'll work with my doctor on my medications. If I have side effects, I'll talk with them. I just won't start and stop on my own. I won't take illegal substances. I'm going to establish good circadian rhythms because that's essential to mood stabilization, particularly for bipolars, that I go to sleep at a certain time and I wake up at a certain time. I don't let any of my bipolars work third shift because they can't maintain stability if they're not actually sleeping at night. And so the the conversation needs to be, are you going to own your illness? Don't condemn you for it. Love you. It's not your fault. But you're going to own it and manage it to the best of your ability. Well, yeah. And one of my favorite analogies would be even someone that was anemic or iron deficient. Yep. If they're like, oh, I have no energy, no motivation. I'm just on the couch and I don't feel good. And are you doing something to get over it? Yeah. And and that's not fair to your spouse if you're, you know, unproductive, in a foul mood. And so one of the dynamics that can happen is people can have real bipolar disorder. And then they can also have some element of their personality. Um, lazy, whatever, uh-huh. irresponsible, uh-huh. that they use their bipolar disorder to avoid responsibility. And uh-huh. anytime they're held accountable for something they're not fulfilling their duty, they'll throw the Bible, I'm depressed. Yeah. I'm just, I don't care if you're depressed, when that. are you going to get it done? Yeah, treat it. Don't okay. just use it as a chronic, yeah, exactly. get out of jail free pass type of thing. That's right. That's good. I like that. Um, so what are some of the best treatments typically? I know there's you know often a first line of treatment or a second line, but what are you seeing as the most helpful treatment for bipolar disorder? The one that works for the patient. So it depends on every case. No, it really does. Yeah. I mean, it really does. Some patients do better. Uh, we are widely di- divergent in our genetic and our genome. Mm-hmm. And some people will do really ma- magnanimous on you know, one treatment. Some will be better on another treatment. Um, but but when it comes to bipolar patients, they need mood stabilizers. Mm-hmm. Now, are those the anti-epileptic medicines like Depakote or mm-hmm. Tegretol or Trileptol or Lamictal anti-epileptics? Mm-hmm. Are they lithium, a classic medicine, long-term, still very good mood stabilizer? Are they the uh, newer agents, the atypical antipsychotic type medications. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them have their place mm-hmm. and they all have their risks. They all have their side effects. And that's something that the individual will talk over with their with their doctor. I talk about that a little bit with women who've had trouble with even birth control. One made me gain weight. One made me cry. One did this. And, and so that's why you can't just have a one size fits all approach to whether it's an antipsychotic or, you know, just a mood state, which type of mood stabilizer depends on their body chemistry and mm-hmm. a variety of things. Yeah, okay. exactly right. And I tend to think that, that medication is more important if you had to choose. Therapy is obviously helpful, but if you had to choose between seeing a psychiatrist or medical doctor for a psychiatric medication, that's more important than For, for bipolar, therapy. that's yes, right. Yes, Bipolar and ADHD, by the way. Oh, really? Okay. ADHD is, uh, um, uh, the, the, the core symptoms of ADHD are much better improved with medication. ADHD is highly heritable, about 80%, 80% heritable. Mm-hmm. Okay. I figured out where mine came okay. from. Okay. <laughs> no, there's no question. And uh, and so it, you, you view medication with ADHD like you do eyeglasses for your eyes. So I had one psychiatrist friend of mine from Nashville say he treats his ADHD with uh, caffeine. Do you think that's... That's a weak person's treatment. It has some right. benefit. There's okay. no question. And and the, the other historic treatment that many people did to treat their ADHD prior to more modern treatments was, was nicotine. Interesting. Nicotine can have a lot of smokers probably have a lot of smokers. So interesting. Well, this was incredibly helpful, and thank you so so much. And it's wonderful to see you. You too. Thank you for coming by, Beth. Thank you.